Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sherrill. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. But let's dive in really fast together. We're going to be in the, in the book of 1 Peter, starting a new series called Set Apart. Let's start here. There's a message that I read um, as I was studying, this message is called The Passage from a Rock to a Good Place. Pastor Rick Stacy he told a story of a sailor who once found himself shipwrecked on an island somewhere in the South Sea. And upon his arrival, his, his ship being wrecked, you know, the wreckage there at that spot, he was quickly welcomed by island natives who grabbed him. They hoisted him up on their shoulders on some makeshift chair-like thing, and they start chanting with all of this excitement, taking him through the woods into this primitive city area there. And they take him up to this throne, and they put him on the throne, and they declare him the new king of the island. It's crazy. He's probably like, what is going on here? You know, so he's, 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 he's shipwrecked one moment, and then he finds himself as the king of this island sitting on the throne in front of these people. Come to find out, you know, as he starts asking questions like, okay, well, let's help me understand, you know, what happened to your last king? And he, he, he figures out that kings only last for one year on this island. And so then he's like, okay, well, what happens to him? Oh, well, they, we sent him on onto these other islands. You know, they just kind of exiled. Some of these kings basically end up just starving to death. And so he's thinking, this is not a good plan. This is not good news for me, right? <laughs> At least I have a year. And he's living well. I mean, they are taking care of him. They are pampering him in every way, but he gets a plan. He decides in this moment, you know, I can do one of two things. I can either live it up or I can, you know, I can basically um, lose my grip and, and be completely incapacitated with fear of what's to come. Or I can, I can actually do a third thing. I can prepare. And so he starts, he starts coming up with a plan. He, he takes carpenters and say, I want you to build some boats. He gets the farmers. He says, farmers, I want you to go to this island where I will live after my rain. And I want you to plant crops as far as the eye can see. And then he gets the builders. And he says, okay, now I want you guys to build this house. I'm going to design. It's going to be a nice, big, lavish home. And, and so basically he... He, when his reign is finished, he's going to be exiled, not to a barren island, but he's going to be exiled and banished to a paradise of plenty, if you will, to live forevermore. So he's figured it out. And here's the truth about that little story. As I read that, I started thinking, you know, each one of us is a lot like that sailor king in some way, form, or fashion. Our time on earth here is very short. And a lot of us, we tend to we tend to either live it up and just try to figure out, well, I'm just going to make it the best I can while I'm here. Or, or some of us, we get just completely trapped in this prison of our own fear, and we don't know how to move forward in that. But here's the good news. You know, here's the good news. Some of us, we can begin to consider eternity. And we have the opportunity right now to begin to prepare ahead of time for how we will spend eternity. Because of Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, we have this assurance of heaven forever to live with God in the fullness of peace, in the fullness of contentment, in the fullness of joy, and in the fullness of love. We will be, there will be no need for anything in that space, in that time. This life, even for kings of the earth, cannot compare to what is to come for those who belong to Jesus. Come on, somebody. Amen. It will be a true paradise so if we know that our time here is short, much like that of the sailor king that we just heard about, what are we doing right now? What are we doing with our lives? How are we living in order to prepare for what is to come? How do we reside in this world but keep our focus on living for the one to come? 
This is the challenge that has faced the believers or the followers of Jesus Christ since the beginning of the church. We live here, but we really don't necessarily fit in here. Um, There's only one king, understand, there's only one king. He is our king of kings. His name is Jesus. He's our true king. And as followers of Jesus, contemplating between where we live right now and where we will live with him, this should mean we we should have different values. We should have different goals. We should have different dreams, different hopes, or at least we should, right? We've been chosen and called to be set apart from this place and time that we live right now. We were created with eternity in mind. And because of Jesus, we're different, or we should be. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, let's look together to see what God teaches us about the voyage that we're presently on through this life as we move toward eternal life. If you've got your Bibles, let's go there. I'm going to be teaching out of the, the Passion Translation. I love some of the language in here. So we're going to start in verse 1. It says, from Peter. You heard J.D. as he read it. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus, the anointed one, to the chosen ones who have been scattered abroad or exiled, basically, like seed, it says, into the nations, living as refugees to those living in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, throughout the Roman provinces of Asia and Bithynia. So basically, this opening verse, this opening phrase reminds the readers to which this letter or this epistle was written, as well as I think it reminds us that Peter is writing from his role as an apostle of Jesus Christ, meaning he is now living into the identity and purpose that Jesus called him to post-Pentecost. Apostle meaning messenger or one who is sent by Jesus, empowered to speak on behalf of Jesus. By adding the phrase apostle of Jesus Christ, just by adding that phrase, that's significant. Nowhere else, no other office in scripture do you see. You don't see evangelist of Jesus Christ, teacher of Jesus Christ, but you see apostle of Jesus Christ. It's the only place. And so it's significant that he says this because what he's doing is he's, he's qualifying himself as not only the one who walked with Jesus, was taught by Jesus, but now the one who is sent by Jesus, speaking on behalf of Jesus. So in other words, what Peter is saying here with this title, he's saying, the words that I am speaking are also God's words, and they should be received as such. So just in that opening sentence, he's saying quite a lot. He's saying quite a lot. And he says, to the elect, to the chosen who have been scattered To the chosen ones who have been scattered, he calls people out from all different places. People who have been dispersed, exiled. He says, for those who have been scattered. And I like what he says in in this translation. He says, to those who have been scattered abroad like seed. Man, I love the way that reads. Indicating or speaking to there being purpose in this scattering. There's purpose in this dispersion. There's purpose Um, To proclaim, to plant, if you will, scattered, almost like refugees, foreigners. You've been shipwrecked to a home that is not your home. And this is the very first thing that we need to see because we're grafted into this story. We're grafted into this letter as, as Peter is speaking. We need to understand this is not their home. And guess what? This place that we live right here, this is not our home. This time, this is not our home. But we were sent here. We, in sense, have been exiled and scattered on purpose for purpose. So many times, I think, as Christians, we we question why too many times. Like, why does God place me in in situations and scenarios where I feel like a stranger in a foreign land, like an alien almost? 
I mean, you know, it could be a neighborhood. It could be a certain job. It could be a school. Um, but we feel like a refugee. We feel like we don't belong here. We're in a place that's not our home. And it might be based on our preferences. It might be based on the fact that, man, this doesn't feel like the cultural context that I'm used to. It may not be necessarily what we want, if you will. It may not be comfortable. So us, we, like these that Peter is addressing, are exiles. We're strangers. Those who reside as aliens. It captures the idea, if you will, of temporary residents away from one's homeland. And this is us. This is the perspective that we should have as we um, consider this time that we live in, understanding just the temporary, fragile nature of the life that we live for these X amount of years in comparison to the timeline, if you will, the Kronos Kronos timeline of, of eternity that never ends temporary and we've been scattered we're we're temporary living here but here is not really home all right as chosen followers of jesus we've been scattered like seed of the nations on purpose for purpose look at verse two he says peter says you're not forgotten you've been chosen and destined by father god the holy spirit has set you apart to be god's holy ones so now he's speaking directly to identity hey you're not forgotten listen can i tell you something? has anybody ever felt forgotten by god anybody I know I have. Just to be honest, man. I mean, just to be raw for a minute. I felt completely forsaken and forgotten by God before. 2007, it's the most, it it was probably the darkest, most loneliest, most isolated feeling I've ever felt. When our third son was born, pound three ounces, born 20 weeks too early, or 17 weeks too early, 18 weeks too early, and the doctors are telling us there's no hope, less than 1% chance of hope for him to survive, I felt completely isolated and alone and forgotten and forsaken by God. So, you know, sometimes your exile, your season of suffering, as hard as this is to swallow, sometimes there is absolute divine purpose in that wilderness, in that desert, in that suffering, in that circumstance, in that season, in that exile. You're not forgotten. You've been chosen for this. You've been, I'm feeling like we're supposed to go here for a minute, so just bear with me. You may have been chosen for this moment that you're in. And how we perceive to see God in that moment, I think that's why Peter begins to dig in and address it the way he does. Let's watch what he says. He says, you're not forgotten. You've been chosen and destined by Father God. You, the Holy Spirit has set you apart and and identified you as a holy one, a holy one, obedient of Christ Jesus. You've been gloriously sprinkled by the blood of Christ Jesus and made God's delightful grace, grace, G-R-A-C, God's riches at Christ's expense. The fact that Jesus would die to give you access to God so that this delightful grace can be lavished, so that peace can be lavished upon you, cascading over you many times over such glorious and good news. We've not been forgotten. And sometimes I know we feel that way. Sometimes we feel like, surely he's forgotten me. I mean, maybe you're like, man, you know, I'm not living the life that I want to live. Maybe you're thinking, I I don't have the job I want to have. My 401k is not exactly where my 401k should be. It's more like a 101b. I don't know, you know. 
Maybe you're like, I'm not where I thought I'd be by this age. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I mean, according to the word of God, listen, he's not forgotten you. He sees exactly where you are. He knows exactly where you are, and he has a plan. I mean, every week we could talk about Romans 8, 28, and I would pray it would be so life-giving for somebody because everybody needs to hear it nearly every week. God is going to work all things together for, for good for those called according to his purposes. He loves you. He's going to work it out. He has a plan in this. He knows exactly where you are. Let me ask you a question. Just something to ponder. In light of this so far, what if where you are is exactly where he's exiled you and scattered you like seed for his purpose? You know, I I can't see it in 2007, but I can tell you in 2018, I can see a lot of purpose in the pain of that journey of Kyle's birth. I still see the families that we were with in that season. I see what God has done in the lives of the many from that season. It didn't make that season easy. It didn't mean I liked the season. It didn't mean I didn't doubt God in the season. I'm just being honest. But I'm telling you, in 2018, I can see the glorious goodness of our God getting us through that season. Peter tells us, Listen, you've been chosen and destined by Father God himself. And Holy Spirit has set you apart and called you Holy One. You've been bought with a price and God has purpose. Listen, we we may need to consider that most often there is divine purpose in your positioning where you are right now. There's divine purpose in your positioning. You may feel like it's exile where God has you, but instead, what if instead of exile, it's exactly where God wants you? I think that oftentimes we're the ones that complicate God's calling. Many times it's as if our preference must be the determining factor for God's purpose and God's goodness. Um, I don't know if that landed. Did y'all hear what I just said? (laughs) Because God added and the goodness to the end. This is what I wrote. Many times, I'm going to read it again. It's as if our preference must be the determining factor for God's purpose or God's goodness. What if God actually placed you exactly where you are for such a time as this? Peter's speaking to this exact word when he talks about the dispersed. That's why he says in verse 1, the Christian uh, Standard Bible says it like this, to those chosen living as exile. They're living as exiles, dispersed abroad. The dispersion, um, this is a, or or diaspora, was a term used by Greek-speaking Jews to refer to Jewish people scattered throughout the nations, dispersed from their homeland Israel. It talks of that in John 7, but in James 1, dispersion refers to Christians, all Christian. This does not imply that Peter was writing only to Jewish Christians in 1 Peter, right? It's, he, he's basically, rather he's saying the term here in a new spiritual sense, he's referring to Christians dispersed throughout the world. So we're grafted into this. He's referring to those that, that are scattered, living away from their heavenly homeland, yet hoping someday to reach it. We are a part of this letter. Through time, Holy Spirit gave him the words. And through time, right now in 2018, these very words are applicable to me and you. We're in this. We're grafted into this. He goes on to say in verse 3, So, in light of this, celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For, For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living and energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
from the dead. So the cross, we are reborn into this energetic living hope. We can be assured that no matter the moment, no matter the season of suffering, no matter the darkest night of the soul, God has us. He has purpose in it. Even if there's pain, there's purpose in it. And he set us apart for something like a seed scattered. He's going to use this in some way for our good and his glory. Come on, somebody. You better say amen to that. That's good stuff right there. So celebrate with praises. He's shown you this mercy. You were chosen, called, you were saved and set apart for something else. Verse four, we are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish. Though this place is temporary, the pain of it is temporary. The, even the joy of it is temporary. The joy, the temporary joy that we experience right now is nothing in comparison to the eternal joy, the fullness of joy spoken of in Psalm 16 that we will encounter fully in his presence when we're glorified with him. And it's perfect inheritance. It'll never perish. It'll never be defiled. It'll never diminish. It's promised and kept. It's preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. This is what Peter's saying. So just somebody say, for me. Come on, say it like you want it and mean it. For me. This is a promise for you. That's what he's saying. It's reserved, man. It is, it is promised and preserved. He's saving it for you. I mean, he is speaking to the fragility of, of this temporary life. He's declaring that there is a life so far greater beyond what we're experiencing right now today. This life that we live right here, right now, is exactly what I've been saying, temporary. Everything about this life here and now, temporary. But because of Jesus, through his extravagant mercy, we are reborn into a new life, complete with this perfect inheritance that will never fade, it will never perish, it is promised, it is preserved, forever waiting for us in the heavenly realm. So the temporary, we can, ex we can expand our perspective and say, man, we don't have to focus and live for the temporary. We don't try to have to live it up now because this is the only thing. We, we get, no, 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 there's so much more to come. Everything that we see, touch, taste, feel right now, okay, let's just go back to Genesis. Everything that we see, touch, taste, and feel right now is a, it, it is a, it, it pales in comparison to the truth of what God has created it to be for us. Why? Because it is defiled by the fall of man. This is not in the notes, okay? Let me just pause. This is why it's so, so important for the church to not be dualistic in their thinking. There's no spiritual and secular. Everything is created by God. Everything. Everything. And the enemy uses and abuses, twists and manipulates to try to make you think that this temporary thing is going to satisfy you. It's not but that thing that even the enemy manipulates and twists and contorts and uses is a shadow. It pales in comparison to the grandiose, marvelous, perfected nature of the way God created it. And that is what is to come for us. Do you see it? Do you see it? Are you with me? I don't know if you're feeling it like I am right now. I'm in it. Let me find where I'm at. <laughs> Let me just say it like this. Not like the, for, for those who don't know Jesus, man, this is why it's so important for us to do what Pastor Mark was talking about last week, just speak up. Because there are people who do not know Jesus. They know church, they know religion, they know all kind of stuff. 
but do they intimately, truly, personally have relationship with Jesus? Listen, this life, this temporary life, for those who do not know Jesus, this is the only heaven they'll ever taste or know. And I know I've said that before, but listen, I'm serious. If For someone who doesn't know Jesus, I want you to just think right now across your family, across your friends and neighbors. If they don't personally know Jesus, this life that you see on the news and read in, the, in, in, in social media, this is the only heaven they will ever taste and know. This should move our hearts to action right here. Because for those who have surrendered their life to Christ Jesus, this temporary space that we're occupying as exiles is the only hell we'll ever know. And you know they don't know Jesus, so what do they do? They live it up. As much like a king as they can. Enthroned on their very own carefully crafted and created and constructed social image, invisible throne. But our life, because of Jesus, is different. He's called us set apart. It's different. And we are set apart for something greater. This world's not our home. The values of this world, are, they should not be our values. Can I just say this too? And this is not a political statement. It's going to sound it. The politics of this world are not our politics. The economy of this world is not our economy. Um, yeah, I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> we were rescued and reborn to a living hope. Not a futile, fragile existence. We were made for an exciting purpose and plan. Verse 5, through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to reveal in the last time. May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy, even though lately you've had to put up with grief of many trials. So basically, the hope of the assurance that I had, this living hope, man, no matter what I see in my reality right now, the truth of the matter is, is my, my thoughts are eternal. And man, the, 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 the knowledge of this living hope that I have, no matter the tragedy, no matter the suffering, no matter, I, my, my soul is bursting with joy because I know what's to come and God wins. God wins. Even though sometimes, yes, we're going to have to endure hardship. Whoever told you that coming to Jesus meant that life was going to be easy and he was going to give you a BMW, that was wrong. Unless you're Joe McShane. He has a BMW. Thank you. I like to ride in it. It goes fast. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Joe. It was a bad illustration that broke down. Crick. Um, But I'm telling you, the one thing you can know is you will endure hardship and suffering. You just will. Imagine having to do that apart from relationship with Jesus. So yeah, it's going to happen. Pain's going to come. Rain's going to fall. You're going you're to be tempted. There's going to be trials. Your marriage is going to shake. It's going to be shaken. And you're going to be told to, be told to think, well, it's okay. It's just a contract. It's a governmental. No, it's a covenant with God. You're going, to lose, you're going to lose your wealth. People are going to die. It's going to be tough. But may we be moved to great passion and excitement and joy at the mere thought of all that Jesus has secured for us and what he's calling us to. Verse 7. These are only, when we endure, listen, this is what he's saying by verse 7. When we endure, when we deal with and live through these things, it says, these only reveal the sterling core of our faith. 
It only reveals the sterling core, which is far more valuable than gold that perishes. For even gold is refined by fire. Hey, listen, when you endure, when you walk, abiding, remaining, keeping the eternal perspective, the kingdom eyes, the kingdom mindset of understanding, even though in this moment it's difficult, man, I know what's to come. When we endure that, it says this is the evidence of the core of our faith, forsaking all I trust him, forsaking all of this that's going on, that's pressing in against me. It says even go, it's, it's more valuable than gold, which is refined by fire. So, hey, you want the gold? You're going to be refined by fire. You want the diamond? You're going to be crushed with great pressure. You know how many times I've told myself, A.W. Tozer's words, God will crush mightily those that he uses greatly because he's making diamonds out of coal. So you endure you walk, how we live in this world of exile and endure the pain of it and the suffering of this temporary life as we await for the promised paradise to come, this will reveal the true nature of our faith. It says, verse seven finishes, your authentic faith will result in even more praise, even more glory and honor when Jesus, the anointed one's revealed. Verse eight, you love him passionately, although you didn't see him. Now, Peter's coming from a place of, he walked with him, he knew him, he saw him, but he's saying, I know you haven't seen him. This is why I'm saying we're grafted into this. We have not seen him with our eyes, but he's saying, even though you've not seen him, though you believe in him and you're saturated with an ecstatic joy, indescribably sublime and Immerse in glory, for you are reaping the harvest of your faith. The full salvation promised you your soul's victory. Mm, come on. And I love the language. I know you don't see him. And I know you're in exile. I know you're scattered. You're not home. You're not comfortable. You're suffering. And because of what he's done for you and based on your belief in him, you still love him passionately. You're set apart. You're full of ecstatic joy, immersed in glory. And as you endure in faith and continue to walk with God, trusting God, living for God, in hope, you are reaping the harvest, which is your soul's victory. Verse 10, 11, 12, look what it says. This salvation was the focus of the prophets who prophet. He's just telling them, hey, listen, this salvation I'm telling you about, this is one that I'm, that I'm heralding right now. Man, this was the focus of the, of the prophets gone by who prophesied of this outpouring of grace that was destined for you. Ugh. They made a careful search and investigation of the meaning of their God-given prophecies as they probed into the mysteries of who would fulfill them and at the time period and when they would all take place. The spirit of the anointed one was in them and was pointing prophetically to the sufferings that Christ was destined to suffer and the glories that would be released after his suffering. God revealed to the prophets that their ministry was not for their own benefit, but for yours. And now you have heard these things from the evangelists who preached the gospel to you through the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The gospel containing wonderful mysteries that even the angels long to get a glimpse of. I love this. Listen, church. Peter's saying, we have something so intimate. We have something so amazing. We have something so powerful and personal. Even the angelic angels, those beings, they long to understand and know this, but they can't and never will. We have this relationship with God through Jesus that is so amazing and so intimate. This, this, this awareness, this, it's different than even the beings in the heavenly realms 
We're chosen by God. We're destined by God. We're set apart by God for God. Now look at verse 13, and we're going to spend some time here. So then he says, based on all of this, based on everything that you've just heard, everything I've said, he says, prepare your hearts and mind for action. Here's your call to action. Here's the verb moment for you. Prepare your hearts and your minds. Stay alert. Fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. For when Jesus Christ is unveiled, a a greater measure of grace will be released to you. As God's obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't know any better. He says, instead, shape your lives to become more like the holy one who called you. For scripture says, you are to be holy because I am holy. So holy, what does this mean? What does this mean? Holy, it means, um, the word means literally to be separate, set apart. Now, in his lesson on developing a holy lifestyle, Dr. Stephen Cole begins with a story from Reader's Digest. Anybody have read Reader's Digest? Okay, so this, this article was in Reader's Digest, and ready for it? 1984. Listen to what he says. He says, I know, right? I'm telling you. I remember it well. They were good years. I was 10. Footloose and carefree. <laughs> yeah, okay. I love it. All right. So here's how it begins. He says, a California's driver's license examiner. So you know the guy. Remember when you were 16? Nervously got into that car. Hopefully, you know, why didn't I have a smart car back then? My mom had this big old long Buick that I had to parallel park. What's up with that? Right? Anyway, so this California driver's license examiner, test giver, whatever, he he told a story about a teenager who had driven an almost perfect driving test. Um, until the very, very end, he only made one mistake, says this guy who gave the test. He says, yeah, when he stopped to let me out of the car, he breathed this, this deep sigh of relief and, and says, well, I'm sure glad I don't have to drive like that anymore. <laughs> so Dr. Cole goes on to say this. He says, you know, that boy's a lot like church-going Americans today. He says, we become very good at putting on a good front, and we know when someone's watching, but the rest of the time, we tend to let our guard down. We tend to let our standards go loose. He says, there's not much difference between people who profess to follow Jesus and those, quote, in the world, quote, except that those who profess Jesus may go to church just a little bit more. And he goes on to substantiate this. He says, the divorce rate among Christians is about the same in society at large. In fact, the third highest divorce rate occupationally after doctors and policemen actually goes to pastors. He says, Christians tend to watch the same television shows and the same movies for about the same amount of time if, you know, every week as everybody else. And he goes on to say, Christian students are involved in sexual immorality to the same extent as those not naming Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, Most Christian businessmen have a terrible reputation. And remember, this is 1984. He's saying this. He says, it would seem that our Christianity or our version of it doesn't have much impact or effect on the way that we live. So listen, if the word holy means to be separate and God is saying to us, you are holy because I am holy. Um. This just hit me. I'll say this. This is not a romantic rhetorical suggestion. It's a command, but also even more than a command. I mean, he's speaking identity over you. You know, it's like I, I think back to Genesis in the garden. I'm going to look at my time because I'm off script, but I'm thinking about this. When Adam and Eve realized that they're not clothed and they're hiding, 
What's the one question God asked him? Who told you that? And so God is saying, you're holy because I'm holy. Your works don't make you holy. Your money doesn't make you holy. Your church attendance doesn't make you holy. Your morality doesn't make you holy. You're holy because I'm holy and I'm living inside of you. And so, you know, for, the, for those of us who want to look in the mirror and believe the lie, every lie that the enemy wants to spit in our face or, throw, or remind us about, to, to live in the, into the, the shackle of shame, if you will, when we look in the mirror, I mean, and, and God said, no, 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 wait a minute. I, I clearly remember the cross because, you know, I, I, I know all about that. And the blood of my son covers you. And when I see that, I'm pleased. You're holy because I'm holy. It's like, you know, when, when your kids mess up. I had, a, I had a conversation with my son, and, and, and one time he, he had a hard go, and I said, listen, that's what you did, but that's not who you are. And here's the truth of the matter. He's a Cheryl. There's nothing that's going to divorce that. He can't remove it. He's a Cheryl because I'm a Cheryl. And God says, you're holy because I'm holy. It's not a, it, this is not a romantic like, well, maybe you'll get there. <laughs> This is a statement of fact that God is declaring over your life as an identity. So this passage, um, these, these verses, 13 through 16, are huge. He's saying, listen, you got to prepare, man. Prepare your hearts and minds for action. You cannot sit on the sideline on this one. It's impossible. Stay alert. Fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that's coming to you. When Jesus is unveiled, listen, a greater measure of grace is about to be released. And as God's obedient children, not a suggestion, a truth, never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't know any better. Instead, shape your lives to become more like the Holy One who called you. Because, Scripture says, you're going to be holy because I'm holy. So when applying the word holy to God, it's, it's, it's basically pointing to his transcendence. It's pointing to his beyondness. Is that a word? Beyondness. Thank you. It's kind of like gooder. I just keep saying these things. God is above and beyond his creation in every way. So much so he is distinct from it. So let's go back to Dr. Cole for a moment. He suggests... Contained in the word holy is the notion of God's purity, that he is totally separate from all sin. When God calls us to holiness, it means that we are to be set apart from the world, the culture of the world, the, the, the hunger of the world, the thirst of the world, and called unto God separate from sin. But since sin dwells in the very core of our being as fallen creatures, creatures, thank you, according to Genesis 3, 7, since it's in the core of who we are, how can we ever hope to be holy? So, so Dr. Cole suggests three things. Number one, focus on Christ's return. Keep your eyes lifted. He's coming back one day. Number two, be obedient in all of life. And number three, continue to grow in your knowledge of the holiness of God. You know, there's three senses in which we are holy or sanctified as God's people. The very moment that we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and call upon his name and surrender to him, we are what's called positionally sanctified, set apart unto God. This is the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit that, that, that claims you his, as his own, the blood covering that pleases God, that forgives your life. Positionally, there is, there, there is this identity now of holiness. 
then we must be progressively sanctified by growing in our holiness. This process will not be complete as long as we're in this temporary body, on this temporary spot as an exile. But we must actively, continually work at it, according to Galatians 5 and Romans 8. And when we meet the Lord, we will be perfectly sanctified then, glorified, made completely like him, according to 1 John 3. And I've heard it declared this way. We've been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And understand, listen, it is not your behavior or your good works that make you holy. Your prerequisite to eternity is not your good works or your behavior. You cannot earn this. You cannot buy this. You can never be good enough. It is your surrender and your submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ, allowing him to completely take over, take control. In and of ourselves, we cannot be holy and set apart. It's, it's nothing that our self-discipline alone can strive for enough. Our good works cannot pay the penalty for sin. Only Jesus Christ can do that through the cross and through the resurrection. And because of Jesus, listen, we have this living hope. We have an identity. We have a promise and assurance. So let's wrap up again, just piece by piece, 13 through 16. Number one, to be holy people, we must focus on Christ's return. Look at 13. So then, prepare your hearts and minds for action. Stay alert. Fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that's coming for you. For when Jesus Christ is unveiled, a greater measure of grace are going to be released. Prepare our hearts. Prepare your minds for action. Stay alert. Fix your hope on what's coming. Focus on Christ's return. He's coming again. How will he find us? Um, will, will he find us ready? Will we, will, we, will we have clean hands and pure hearts? This is not a scare tactic. Please don't take it that way. It's a heart. It's a heart question. How will he find us? Will, will he find us passionately in love with him, relentlessly pursuing after him at every and any cost, honoring him for who he is and all he has done, living this joy-filled gratitude life? See, holy living will begin in the heart and mind. Could I just say this to you? Listen, holiness begins in your thought life. It begins in your thought life. What you think determines how you live and how you determines what you love. Okay, number two, to be a holy people, we must be obedient to the Father in all of life. Verse 14, as God's obedient children, never ever again shape your life by the desires that you followed when you didn't know any better. In other words, leave the past in the past. We gotta break up with our previous lifestyle. Some of us need to have a DTR with who we were and break up. Some of you are like, what's a DTR? Ask a millennial. I mean, you gotta break up with it. Why? I love Christian Standard Version of this because it says, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. I did not call you ignorance. That was translation. And that's what it's saying. It's saying, look, man, if Christ has saved you and sets you apart and calls you to something greater, he said this about your identity. Don't conform what he's done or that identity into what you were. You got to break up from your past. That is not who you are. It's what you did, but it's not who you are. The word conformed is used only one other time in the New Testament by Paul in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the culture of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what shapes our lives will be what we fill our minds with, um, the people that we surround ourselves with, 
who we're trying to please. Is it God or people? And what we believe about who God says that we are. 15, instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. Be like Jesus. And in order to be like Jesus, you've got to spend time with Jesus. Has anybody ever known a couple, a married, married couple? You've seen this, where the married couple, they actually kind of begin to look like each other. You know what I'm talking about? It's almost like creeptastic, like, what? <laughs> but they do. They favor each other. They talk like each other. Some of them even dress like each other. That's a little weird, okay? Um, so, you know, it's like they, they use a lot of the same phrases. I mean, it's, it's, they look like each other. They act like each other. I mean, you know why? Intimacy. Time together. They study one another. They love each other. If we're going to shape our lives to become like the Holy One, we're going to have to spend our lives with the Holy One. Be in His Word. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, empowering His Word, and He will. Spend time in the red letters. Don't just hear it or read it. Do it. Be obedient to what you see, hear, and read. You know, to be holy, we must become obedient to the Father in all of life. Which, again, demands that we leave our past behind. You know, I was talking to Roger out in the Connection Center a while ago. And he was talking about a season of life. And he was talking about shame. And we were talking about preaching about shame. And he said, yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, if, if Father God can forgive me, why can't I forgive myself? That might be some life-giving words that somebody needs to hear today. If Father God can forgive you, man, why can't you forgive you? We must become obedient to the Father in all of life, which again, we gotta leave our past behind. I think this is why much of Christianity of our day has become kind of weak and shallow. I mean, we're, we're trying so hard to hang on to our past, stay relevant by embracing the present in context of the culture of this world and say we love Jesus. You know, instead of allowing Jesus to redeem our past and rescue us from the culture of this world because he died to secure us for another world. I mean, Dr. Cole, again, let's go back. He says it this way. People invite Jesus into their heart because they're told that he's gonna make, he's gonna give them an abundant life. Um, it, it, it's, it's like... You know, if they like what Jesus is doing for them, if they feel that their lives are happier now than before, then they'll let Jesus stay in office. They've never repented of their sin. They've never made a break with their past life. They've never yielded to Christ as Lord. They're still running their own lives, living for the same selfish desires that they formerly lived for. The only difference is that now they're trying to use Jesus to fulfill their selfish desires. This is not saving faith. Saving faith involves repentance. It involves breaking up with your past. It involves walking forward in this new identity, being set apart. To be holy, thirdly, we must be growing in our personal knowledge of God. It involves being so enamored, so enraptured, so in awe of who God is that he would even know your name that you would even have this sweet knowledge of the fact that he created you for himself, by himself, through himself, that you were made in his image, that he counts and knows every hair on your head, even those follically challenged who lose more and more every day. He knows that the numbers of times he thinks of you outnumber the grains of sand in the entirety of creation, that you would be so in awe of this 
that your life would be such a gratitude, thank you life, because of the cross and the resurrection, that you would say, yes, thank you for setting me apart because I'm so valuable. I'm more valuable than the most priceless treasure ever that you would set me on a pedestal and just love me. Oh, come on, man. Somebody needs that today. Somebody needs that today. We must grow in our personal knowledge of God's holiness. That's why he says, shape your life to become like him who called you. And he's saying, you're holy. You're to be holy because I am. We must find ourselves in awe of God for who he is. We gotta look for God. We gotta lift our eyes up and begin to look for him. Look for how he is moving in your life. Look for ways to live the gratitude, thank you life unto him. Um, he is God and he is God alone. He's transcendent, almighty, omniscient, omnipresent, and some other omni I can't remember right now. He's omni, he's righteous, he's true, he's good, and he is love. Um, and he's enough. Simply because of who he really is and in light of who we really are, apart from him. But because he is holy, he says we're to be holy. He's enough. Because he is, he makes us. We're to be set apart. I'm gonna ask the team to come up here. Listen, we're not made for this world. We've been scattered as seed, ministers on mission to declare his greatness by living set apart lives. Because he is holy, we're to be holy. Let me say it a different way. Because he is holy, we get to live holy. Let's pray together. And as you Close your eyes. I'm going to finish this passage. I just want to read it over you. I want you to listen. It says, Since you call on him as your heavenly father, the impartial judge who judges according to each one's works, live each day with holy awe and reverence throughout your time on earth. For you know that your lives were ransomed once and for all from the empty and futile way of life handed down from generation to generation. It was not a ransom payment of silver and gold, which eventually perishes, but the precious blood of Jesus, who like a spotless and blemished lamb was sacrificed on our behalf for us. This was part of God's plan. For Jesus was chosen and destined for this before the foundation of the earth was laid, but he is made manifest in these last days for you. It's through him that you now believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that you would fasten your faith and hope in God alone. Now, because of your obedience to the truth, you have purified your very souls. And this empowers you to be full of love for your fellow believers. Express the sincere love towards one another passionately and with a pure heart. For through the eternal and living word of God, you have been born again. And this seed that he planted within you can never be destroyed, but will live and grow inside of you forever. For human beings are frail and temporary like, like grass and the, and the glory of man is fleeting like blossoms on the field. The grass will dry and wither and the flowers will fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word, the gospel that was declared to you. We are holy because he is. What is our next step today? What is our response to God? We're going to stand and sing and then be dismissed. Just take some time with the Father. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. 
For more podcasts and teaching, visit declaration.org slash podcasts.